yes thanks for thanks for being here uh, thanks for doing this with me and um you know i've i've started yeah, as you know as a musician this year has been like an absolute disaster like overnight my life changed completely and um and like this podcast thing and also like i i did a series of events called living the dream like tongue in cheek uh, <laughs> um just because i didn't have anything else to do well that's not entirely true but i you know i realized that the interaction with other people has become so important for me um mm -hmm. not just for me personally i mean uh, but also for the overall process of 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 having a career and uh, yeah. <laughs> and and so that's that's why i'm here and like this this is like completely open just um you know and we'll we'll just see uh, uh where this will go and usually okay. i would i i w would like to uh say it's open-ended so um but since it's you know we're getting towards dinner time let's just sure. finish one you know okay okay yeah yeah and and if you need to um uh presumably you you'll edit some of this it, it won't just be uploaded yeah. raw yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah so when i'm talking rubbish <laughs> you can you can cut that bit out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's possible i'm actually recording you on separate channel as well so it's it's all it's all good yeah yeah so sid um first of all i mean like People really don't know, I, and I have to say this again. I know you don't want to hear it, but you you were so important, an important part in my career. People are not aware that you introduced me to Ian Body, and I really still remember your original words as I drove you to the station in Alfeld, I think, and you first mentioned Ian Body to me, and uh, right. and it's it really really been important, and um, and I think I think like. You know, I really don't know that much about you other than the things that I know about you. <laughs> and that's, that's probably enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you having been sort of, um, you have having, or you still have a very close relationship with music and also beyond the music itself with the people that make the music. And as I've seen from like old photos um, that, you know, that there are, um, you always have had like a close contact with, with the scene. And can you, can you just go back a little bit and just tell me how this whole thing started for you? How you, how you discovered your love for music? Uh, I, I, my, my love for music in the broadest sense um, comes from, you know, like like everybody, really, uh, it's it's what you're exposed to when you're a kid. You know, um, it's it's the music that uh, you hear. I, I was fortunate in one sense to have parents who um, were, you know, were actively interested in music, um, popular classics. So, you know, Mozart, Beethoven. Um, but the old Rimsky Korsakoff, uh, etc., etc. And when I was a very, very small child, like two or three or something, um, I used to uh, <clears throat> I used to ballet dance <laughs> around <laughs> the living room when my when my mum and dad used to play the classical music. Um, there's a there's a particular piece by Borodin, the composer Borodin, uh, and I can't 
I can't bring the name of the piece to mind, but it's a it's a very danceable piece of music, very dramatic. So I used to do all that, but it, and and I guess the big sort of change, uh, I I had I have two older sisters, uh, so I was the baby of the family, uh, and and really a major kind of event for me was in 1963 being exposed to the Beatles. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my sister, I had one sister who was into the Rolling Stones and my other sister, Leslie, who was into the Beatles. Um, and the Beatles had a profound, uh, massive impact on my life. Um, and, you know, it, it, it. so I, I guess it all stems from there in terms of, finding music to be um, incredibly important. As you get older, you know, your interests change and shift. Um, and I, I didn't really uh, ever lose the interest in music. Um, I wasn't ever interested in sport. Um, it, was, uh, it wasn't something that ever interested me, and it still doesn't, to be honest. Um, <laughs> But but music, yeah, music was the thing. When I was quite a bit older, my sister, uh, who was seven years older than me, she uh, was uh, heavily into blues and rock. Um, so this is like late 60s, early, very, very early 70s. Um, so 69, 1970, I'm talking about. She had, um, you know... A, a brilliant record collection um and when she used to go hitchhiking around europe because what my sister used to do was buy like get a job short term earn some money and then use that money to go hitchhiking around in round germany mm-hmm. uh around uh all around europe she a bit later in the 70s she worked for several years in heidelberg mm-hmm. um and that was really good for me because it meant I could pretend that her record collection was my record collection. <laughs> and, and so I used to carry carry the albums mm-hmm. um, under my arm into school. And, uh, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, it helped you be one of the hippest kids in the class, you know, because you had, <laughs> yes, you had the second Led Zeppelin album. It's just come out. I love it. Yes. Um, but of course, it was my sister's uh, copy, not mine. So, so th- anyway, that's just by way of illustration that that music was, you know, terribly, terribly important. And uh, part of that comes from me parents, as I say, and, and a massive portion of that comes from my sister. Uh, her record collection was absolutely formative for me. Okay, and so it got me. Yeah, let me let me ask a, a question that seems interesting to me at least. <laughs> So if you if there's any way that you can kind of think back on how listening to music actually was for you back then compared to now, like you being, I say, like just an ex- expert listener, uh, but also a professional listener nowadays, right? And I'm, sure. like, so the parameters have changed considerably. But what about like, I'm, what I'm interested in is, do you think that you had a talent for music? Was there anything, and I don't mean uh, you know, like making music. I mean about like picking up on on what's going on in the music, and that could think, be emotionally or that could be technically, but uh, probably both. I think I think one of the earliest recollections I I had about music, about listening to music, 
was the effect it had on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so not not every piece of music had 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 an effect. Some 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 music, you know, just floats past you. Mm-hmm. But some, uh, I can remember, um, you know, getting shivers and and mm-hmm. kind of you know, all the. I had hair then, and all the hair standing up on the back of my head, mm-hmm. um, and that could be—I um, could get that from, you know, I don't know, a Beatles uh, LP or, a, or, or you know, whatever it happened to be. And I think the other thing I remember, so I remember that impact, uh, and wondering why, and and it, it feeling quite odd, and also realizing that not everybody in my small social circle actually had that that quality yeah um the other thing as well um i'm kind of interpreting after the event of course none of this was ever conscious Mm -hmm. but i do remember um listening to music and and it made me and hearing narratives within the music like like almost like a story so it's not like following the lyrics Mm -hmm. It's something else underneath the lyrics, like expressed and not overtly expressed by the instruments. I.e., you know, it's not the guitar solo mm-hmm. <laughs> that that you're you're going. Wow, that's an amazing guitar solo. The narrative here is so heroic. You know, it's not that. It's something. It's it's like a smell of something that you can't put put a name to. Mm-hmm. It's just there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and sometimes encountering that and not being able to articulate it, but recognizing it was there, mm-hmm. and then it was gone, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. But it but it did come, and it uh, and for a brief moment or two, uh, you you kind of recognized something. Now I probably I never would have expressed it in that way at the time. Mm-hmm. This is me after the fact, rationalizing it as as you do. But for me, to answer your original question, I think listening to music was, um, it was all, it was a bit of a chase, you know, it was a bit of a chase. You were, it was, and by that, I mean, you know, you put the music on and you would, you would go somewhere. The music would lift up and go somewhere. Mm. And you just thought, I've got to follow that. I've got to go where that's going, or at least try to go where that's going without ever thinking that. (laughs) Without ever saying, "Oh, the music is going." What is this <laughs> yeah. psychological process that I'm under? That I'm undergoing. Mm-hmm. Um, the the danger sometimes is you talk about these things and it sounds a bit mystical, and it's not. Uh, it's it's entirely you know it's all down to brain. It's all you know it's all kind of verifiable stuff, I guess, from that point of view. But but the effect is it was was remarkable and still is. Um, so when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't have any language for it. I wouldn't have been able to describe it uh, properly, if at all. Um, but it was something I recognised. As I've got older, and of course, you know, doing what I do for a living, um, you know, I, 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 I'm better at describing it now, and or at least recognising it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think it's it's exciting. I still find listening to music exciting sometimes it you know like it just grabs you mm-hmm. and that that feeling is just remarkable it happens it, it, and when you're a, when you're a teenager 
and you're about 15, 14, 15. So I'm talking about like, I don't know, 1972, I would mm-hmm. be 14 or something. Um, and of course, you know, you've got hormones, <laughs> you've got all <laughs> sorts of things going on. And music was just the most amazing thing. Um, and I remember what, going to a concert uh, and often you'd go to concerts. So we're talking about live music now, you know. Um, and of course, that was a totally different ball game. Um, it wasn't just listening. That music had a physical quality to it, i.e. it hit you in the chest because mm-hmm. it was so loud. Mm-hmm. Or it hit you in the stomach. And of course, all the hairs stand up. And I had a lot of hair back then. <laughs> and so that impact... And often you'd go and see bands and you didn't know the music. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know, you knew the band, the band had a name. Um, and it wasn't, you weren't there because you were a fan, but it was just because you were there to kind of commune with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't matter that I didn't know the music. It was just so exciting to be there and to, to follow things. And of course, afterwards, you then assimilate the music and you kind of start picking it out and figuring it out and so on. Um, and it was important to have a couple of friends who shared that that kind of passion. So, and not everybody did. You know, I mean, I think it's, I think there was, there was one guy at school who's sadly no longer with us. He was a massive Zappa fan. And I, you know, oh, it's horrible music, but, <laughs> but he kind of was sort of, pointing it in that way um he was also into um things bands like cream you know mm-hmm. uh, so, so slightly more conventional and my sister was into cream so so that was a kind of a more conventional experience but he you know you 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 would have one or two friends who would have this passion and this facility if you like to sort of but you would also have lots of other friends who maybe had the album but you could see it wasn't having any effect on them, you know, mm-hmm. or at least not the same way they go. They'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. It's, yeah, I like it, yeah. And there was nothing else behind it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I meant when when I used the word talent. Like, I, I just didn't have any anything better to say. Maybe you have a better word, but something there was something that resonated with you, and it was... It was the music, or it was the uh, the storytelling aspect of the music, maybe, or the storytelling that happened within you as you were listening to the music. Yeah, I, I think a bit of both, and I, I think I think you can't underestimate um, orchestral music. Um, mm-hmm. When the important thing is is that you you experienced all kinds of music as a, as a child. Um, but I think what, when I first became a, really started to kind of become aware of structure and form, um, you know, was through through my parents' classical music collection and hearing um, like a piece like Eine Kleine Nacht music. Mm-hmm. Not not particularly one of my favourites at all, but I can <laughs> remember uh, I can remember realizing that there was several things going on at once. <laughs> um, yes. You know, it wasn't just the tune. <laughs> um, it's a pretty little tune, but there's other things happening. <laughs> and the other things happening um, have a have a relationship. And becoming aware go. of that relationship 
Um, and, and again, not in a conscious way, not saying, oh, there is a relationship between the, I don't know, the bassoon and the <laughs> core anglais, you know. <laughs> it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. but, but actually, it was. You know, you, you did mm -hmm. start to notice things. Mm -hmm. um, another big piece for me was, um, as, a, as a younger child, uh, uh, Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, the pastoral. Um, that, uh, that, that was epic. You know, mm -hmm. it, it mm -hmm. seemed to me like there was a whole, whole world in there. So, and sometimes when you listen to rock music, as I, as I began to when I got older, um, although it was fundamentally very different, actually, there was all these different relationships going on, you know. And so picking up on what, on what the bass player's doing mm -hmm. uh, and realising what the drummer's doing, you know. And it wasn't just, there is a period of when, when you're a kid and you're listening to music, it's all about finding heroes, you know, so it's mm -hmm. the heroic guitar solo, usually. Mm -hmm. But it is also, uh, when you get nerdy about it, it's the heroic drummer, you know, it's the, I mean, when, when I was a, a, a young teenager going to concerts, there was nothing I liked better than the drum solo. <laughs> you know, the longer the drum solo, the better. Because <laughs> because it, it was like it was it was a it was a rite of passage, you know, mm -hmm. to kind of first of all, you know, the drum solo would come, and I mean, these days, of course, if there's a drum solo, everybody leaves to go to the toilet or used to when venues were open. But back then, it was like, fuck yeah, Ian Pace mm -hmm. is going to do the drum solo now, and it was you sat, you know, you kind of like freaked out while while Ian Pace was for twenty minutes. Thundering around the pit. Mm -hmm. I think I, I remember once um, dancing, like idiot dancing, you know, like freaking out, as we used to call it. I think, um, who was the drummer in Jethro Tull? I think it was Barrymore Barlow was doing a drum solo mm -hmm. uh, in Jethro Tull. And it went on and on and on. And at one point I was thinking, you know, I was bravely freaking out. And you've got to remember, this is a seated venue mm -hmm. and there's only half a dozen people in the entire venue doing this, you know, mm -hmm. standing up and waving their arms and shaking their head. And I was one of them. <laughs> and of course, desperate, desperate for him to kind of finish his drum solo so I could sit back down because I felt dead embarrassed, you know. <laughs> um, but joking aside, uh, so you, you, you developed a, a kind of uh, an instinct for these relationships and, and within those relationships, the fact that there could be some kind of narrative that could be teased out or or discerned in some way, and some of that would just be projecting, but but some of it, yeah. it seemed like there was something else in the music. Yes. Yeah, you know, Sid. I, I mean, you're not that much older uh, than me, but but still, oh. I think I I I think it's it's really uh, you. You were fortunate to be around for. You know this 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 really um, unique part in musical history. You know, like I I don't even know when they started recording properly. You know, like in the early fifties, it was still probably just one microphone, and uh, and then so really uh, the Beatles albums. You know, you can see the development going from from like you no know, two track to whatever sixteen or twenty four track even. I don't know exactly, yeah. but you know what I mean. So, and all that in the in in your um, in the time that you were brought up, and and I think just this this um, opportunity 
to really, really become uh, familiar with music while music or rock music, popular music was actually developing into yeah. what it then was in the 70s, 80s and you know, probably also nowadays. Uh, but anyway, there's, um, I think it's, it's fantastic to see how you have, you, you picked up on the, you said like on the, first of all, it was the whole, the, the, the emotional response to the music. Then you yeah. started picking out the elements that you were hearing. Then you saw the bands play and then you were able to kind of like, okay, that's the drummer, that's the bass player, etc. And and yeah. and everything kind of started started like becoming becoming more more detailed, let's say. And nowadays, yeah. like when I when I hear when I when I read your reviews, I can I can I can see that you're kind of like always kind of like taking all these different perspectives and turn those into words. And and you said that back then, obviously, you didn't have words for these things. So how did this happen to you that you became a writer and a wordsmith? Um, has has the music and the art of writing be always being? Uh, did that always go hand in hand for you? I I, I think I wanted to write. I, I mean, I think I used to write from a very early age, you know, and definitely when I was a teenager, I used to write. Um, uh, and, and it would be, uh, it would be um, poetry. You know, I used to write mm -hmm. poetry and, and and short stories and things. Um, also, you know, in the early, very early seventies, you know, writing lyrics for songs um, because I was in a couple of uh, bands. Uh, so, so that would be. Um, The, the writing aspect of it but uh, and there was a bit later in the in the i think it was the 80s or maybe it was the late 70s early 80s i'm not sure which um you know there were local publications and things and i used to write the occasional thing for the for those things mm -hmm. uh, but uh i guess it wouldn't be i didn't really do anything about it um and i certainly didn't do it with any great regularity um, I always used to write, and I used to write, as I say, poetry and, and, and personal writing and keeping a diary and a journal, none of which I've got anymore, um, which uh, is probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> but, but it wasn't until, I guess, in the late 90s that I thought um, that I started thinking about writing, not, not as, a, as a job, um, But, but something that I definitely wanted to do. And it was also, I, th I think it's worth saying, um, in the 70s, uh, reading people like uh, Richard Williams in The, in the Melody Maker mm -hmm. uh, and other writers like that, uh, they were incredibly formative. And I think it, sometimes you would read an article by a, a rock critic and it would really help unlock the music. Um, And it, I never made the connection. Like I didn't think, oh, I'd like to do that for a living. Mm -hmm. um, but it was it was something writing about music. Once I actually started writing about music, I thought, oh gosh, this is a good idea. Why haven't I done this like all my life? You know. Um, but I, I and I started work on a. Uh, I, I, I got I got some commissions, um, like paid jobs just through accidents, really, um, and thought it might be good to do this for a living. 
And uh, eventually, sort of long story short, um, I guess I've been doing this professionally now for about 26 years, something like that. Um, and it, it's, it con- it, I mean, I never take it for granted. And it continues to surprise me that actually somebody's willing to give me money mm-hmm. to write about, I don't know, John Anderson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or whoever it is, yeah. or Marcus Reuter. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I was, I'm always amazed that actually anybody's willing to sort of pay money for that. You know, I, I think it's a very rare skill to to or or just it's it's rare to find good writers that also love music and and not just love music because that, that's you know that's belittling what you what you do. I think like you know a lot about music too, right? And I think to, if if you know, like you have all these, you know, things available within one person, so you you become a professional. And I think I think I still remember when you uh, started being a freelancer, when you were started being self-employed, yeah. because I I think I first met you in '97 or '98, and yeah. uh, I I was working. I would still be in '98. I would still be working for. Uh, a local authority. I was. I would have been a local government officer at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I, I think I turned. I think I turned pro in two thousand, maybe two thousand one, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it's not that long mm-hmm. uh, in terms of being pro. But I think I was pro from two thousand one. I think yeah. I need to check. I think. I think just one quick observation is, is for me. It's always about, I mean, write, writing about music is, is just inherently a stupid thing to do because the, the best you can do is what you're doing is you're chasing the, uh, I, I think of it this way, it's like chasing the heat trail of a, of a jet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and the quick thing about that is if you get too close, it'll burn you <laughs> and uh, and also it accelerates so fast, it's so hard to keep up with it that you can't keep up with it. And all you're left with is, is the fumes mm-hmm. that's left it, it, that, uh, by, by this amazing thing called music. And so the best, the best I can do is to describe the, the moment as best I can. And, mm-hmm. and that's very often what I'm doing. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes you... you, you you get a piece and you think that's quite good. Um, uh, and the other thing I would say about it is, you know, like for example, this week, all I've been doing is, is doing writing reviews for, for Prog magazine. Um, and it's like every single review is different. And, and you would think, you know, having written five on the trot, it would just be like a conveyor belt, but it's not. I, mm-hmm. I seemingly lose the ability to write Mm-hmm. As uh, the minute piece number three is submitted and gone, and then I turn to piece number four, and it seems I can't write anymore and have to learn how to write again from scratch. Because, and I guess that's because the music—it's you're responding to the music. If I guess that's true, but I would also say that in a way, um, you're an artist um, as a writer, and you don't—you're not the kind of person who would. Um, just want to write the same thing over and over, just like I don't want to compose the same piece over and over, you know. So, so yeah. I understand yeah. that that's uh, <laughs> that's what happens. So, I've I've two thoughts here. 
So first of all, kind of like, are, are you aware? Or let's let's just start in this other direction. So I, I guess that if you say like writing about music is inherently uh, stupid or whatever you said. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I would say like since you discovered your, your love for music uh, just by listening to the music, so by being affected by the, by the music directly, and now that there are magazines, or th and there have been, were magazines back then too, but, uh, and, and you're writing for a magazine for people who want to probably discover something new. So really yeah. what you're doing is you're kind of like acting as a, as a medium in a way for them to, to, to discover new music. So, um, so I, th I think, I think, The, what I'd say about that is, in this day and age now, I think back in the day when I was reading music papers, you know, there was no means of discovering this music mm -hmm. other than, you know, Writer X or Richard Williams or whoever it was. Mm -hmm. uh, write reviews an album and you read the review and you think, wow, that's, I must, must get that mm -hmm. or I must listen to that. And, of course, the only way you could listen to it would be if by chance it came on the radio mm -hmm. Um, or, or you went into a record shop and could afford to buy it, and I generally couldn't afford to buy the LPs at the time. Um, and the other way you'd do it was you'd ask the person in the shop if they would play the LP over the speakers, you know, mm -hmm. or in a booth or whatever. Mm -hmm. So they, they were the only ways of, of really investigating mm -hmm. the music. Of course, today it's completely different, and everybody's got, got access to everything, Mm -hmm. in one fell swoop mm -hmm. so in that sense people who write about music are, are are often really in a sense surplus to requirements uh people can discover things they don't need a gatekeeper they can discover things themselves etc etc however when when there's millions and millions and millions of, of things available out there sometimes I think it's useful. I know I've benefited from it. Um, somebody like Steve Smith, uh, who used to write for the, the um, New York Time Out, um, you know, you'd read what he was listening to and it would be, oh, right, okay, because <laughs> he was somebody whose taste you kind of felt you had some affinity with and also his writing's really good, so you would follow his suggestions mm -hmm. so sometimes although so although we don't need music critics anymore because a, with the internet everyone's a critic everyone can <laughs> slag an album off uh, or, or or say or sometimes occasionally say this is a great album um but but sometimes you need people who are signposters perhaps mm -hmm. um and i don't think um i i know anecdotally that without sounding you know, ridiculously egotistical. I know anecdotally, because people tell me this via comments on social media, that they have heard something because I I had, like, raved about it online. Yes. You, and usually raving about it online just involves putting up a picture of the thing mm -hmm. and saying, whoa, this is great! <laughs> and that's about, that's about the extent of it. But sometimes <laughs> that's enough to, mm -hmm. to, to point people in a direction. So I think that's... It's finding you. How do you how do you discover new music? Uh, given the avalanche of data that arrives on a daily basis, I mean, I, I can't keep up with it. Exactly, and that's why I think that people like you are are actually more important than ever. Um, really, it's. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I really mean, I really mean that. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, because I, I, re I remember the times when, when I was, uh, you know, hearing a song on the radio and and I got I got that particular feeling that I was very interested in finding out what this is. And that yeah. just that just hardly ever happens anymore. Because I, I also believe that psychologically things have changed so much for it. Because like like I think that we're kind of programmed uh, by evolution to uh, mm. to be interested in the things that we discover ourselves, right? Yeah. So and just yeah. reading, let's say Sid Smith saying you should check out the band XXXXX, right? That yeah. that means that you still have sort of if you then go listen to it, you still have sort of discovered it yourself because you, you if you know what I mean. So it's yeah, it's yeah. it's really it's really um, kind of like a bridge to something that used to happen um, back in the day when you went to to a disco or in the radio or um, you know you heard something that yeah. It's it's exactly. I mean, going back to as I say, nineteen seventy two or nineteen seventy one or anything. How did you ever hear anything? Well, how you heard things were through your sister's collection or your brother's collection. You know, the amount of people, the amount of people I've interviewed, musicians I've interviewed, who tell me that they were influenced by their older brother's music mm -hmm. collection mm -hmm. uh, or or some sibling or other. Um, and of course, the other thing was, um, you know, going round to people's houses uh, because everybody had different collections because nobody could afford to have everything. Mm -hmm. It's not like now where you. You know, you, you've got everything, more or less, you know. Mm -hmm. um, back then, if you wanted to hear, I don't know, the new Wishbone Ash album, God forbid, um, <laughs> they, you know, they, they, a rumour would get out that so-and-so's got the new Wishbone Ash album. Right, let's go to his house, you know. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. and, so, and literally, the other sort of side of it, without romanticising it too much, is it would be an act of communion. It would be... You know, the, the platter would be taken out of its sleeve and it would be reverentially put on the turntable and you would sit around listening to it. And sometimes you'd talk over it and what have you. But And, and you know, most of the time this, there was no, um, you know, nobody was smoking dope back then, uh, at least not in my uh, uh, milieu. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the best you could expect is so-and-so's mother knocking on the door, bringing in, orange juice and biscuits you know um that, that was a kind of wild night you know um, but 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 the point of the story is is the music was central mm -hmm. and today in terms of our, our culture today for the last god knows how many years music is an accessory to something else it, so so but, but not but not for everybody not for everybody no, not for everybody but mm -hmm. i would say for a, a large portion of, of people, certainly, mm. um, you know, I mean, I think it's an age thing. I think, uh, you know, there are young people who are passionate about music. Of course there are. But in broad, in broad cultural terms, music is, um, it, it's, it's accessorized. It's something else that happens while a game is on or yeah. while some other experience is happening. It's not the experience itself. You know, I'm talking in broad terms. Yeah. There are obviously millions of exceptions to that rule, but that's what it kind of feels like. But back then, how you listened to things was 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 determined by geography, <laughs> by your social group, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, 
and 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 actually i met a f- i met a guy um this is a true story uh, i'm still friends with him to this day um i met i i met a guy at a youth club and i fancied myself um largely because i used to read the melody maker i fancied myself as a bit of a jazz fan you know mm-hmm. i knew nothing about jazz i mean nothing <laughs> but i think i'd heard I can't even know. I, do, I can't remember what I'd heard. It was I'd almost certainly heard almost nothing, um, but it was kind. Of, but it felt kind of cool to say that you like jazz. So I was set up by somebody who wasn't very keen on me to meet this other guy who was a jazz fan, and he was going to knock me flat with his superior knowledge of jazz you know <laughs> and of course all that happened it was that this person who introduced us to get who brought us together all that happened was me and this guy who was going to knock me flat with his superior knowledge of jazz we just became the best of friends <laughs> and the other guy who introduced us like we just said yeah yeah <laughs> see you mate and he he had a um he had an older brother who was into jazz and so him and i you know, embarked on a on a on a journey of of, of sorting out, uh, seeking out as much jazz as possible. You know, and he'd seen some jazz, whereas I, I think at that time I probably hadn't. You know, so so it, it you you meet people um, and they change your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. You don't realise they're changing your life, but but they've decisively changed your life. You know. So, so it's kind of a weirder. Back then, it was a, a sort of a weirder, and I'm, of course, that goes on all the time now. It's not, it's not something that only happened. Th- well, I always say thirty years ago, but it's not. It's it's forty years ago. It's nearly fifty years ago, um, or it is fifty years ago. Um, that happens all the time. It just happens in different ways. Yeah. And and back then wasn't necessarily a golden period. I think there's. You know, I hear I hear all sorts of music that was recorded in the last few years, which is for me just as exciting as stuff I heard fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. It's different. There's a fundamentally different thing at play, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, there's so much good music around. You know, some of your stuff, um, some of the stuff. Uh, you know, it's all there if you can find it, <laughs> and if you've got the time. I. One of the problems is how do you find the time to keep up with it all? Yeah, yeah. That, that is a serious problem for me. I mean, and for, for I, me, for me as a professional musician, it's uh, impossible to kind of stay up to date with what's going on musically. No, and I, I think I think as a musician, the other thing is, is you don't necessarily want to listen too widely because um, because you, sometimes things get in your head mm-hmm. and you and it it can affect your inner voice yes. the the yeah. inner things that you're hearing or the inner the the, the kind of uh, the prompts that you're getting um so so not everyone listen so I, I feel quite relaxed now about not knowing for example there's a joke that the editor of prog magazine and I, and, and I always trade you know when you do those best albums of the year kind of lists mm-hmm. and he, and he sort of said to me this year he said oh he says you're getting a bit mainstream. I've he- I've heard three of the albums on your list, kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course on his list, I've never heard any of them because 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 we listen to different things, you know, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Yeah, 
yeah. You can't listen to everything. Yeah. Including this podcast. You know, Sid, this all of this makes me think of, of something that was a big part of my life, um, actually for maybe even almost 15 years. I had a recurring dream. Um, and this recurring dream was was browsing in a record store. And I was looking for, just for lack of a better word, for like the Holy Grail, for mm, that yeah. one album. And that yeah. was actually what it felt like being in a record store when I was eight, ten years old or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And but but that was a recurring dream and it it always you know took took to place in a bigger structure which was for sort of like a department store or something like that. And I remember there was a swimming pool even and 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 escalators and you know all these wow. <laughs> and then there was that small record store and I was browsing and I was I, I took the, the sleeve out and I looked at the colors and and then I, I turned the the album around, the sleeve around and I saw the like some some notes on the back and then I realized okay I have never heard this before this you know and and that actually was it's true it was a recurring dream until I started to record my own music yeah yeah isn't that amazing I mean just looking back gives me goosebumps it really was true so so it I think it want you know my dreams wanted to tell me like Mm. dude you need to go out and 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 create these things these holy grail this holy grail that you're that you want to hear that you're looking yeah, yeah. for and <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, sorry I, I needed to share that because i think it's you know it's um it's very yeah. much this and what what you said at the very beginning that you that you had the sense of like being able to recognize something mm. or the music that was of particular interest to you and and that i find is has really also also for me has been like the major driving force in my life like this and later on i had a had a good sense of what that was that i was looking for like as a child probably as a teenager i didn't have that 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 uh, knowledge but nowadays and yeah so so sid um being being a professional Mm. what's that like um I it's about um I have a mixed relationship with it. Um if I say this stuff out loud, it mm. sounds so self-serving. And it will prompt you to say, "Oh no, 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 come come come. You are very good." But but my relationship with being a prof- like I I earn my living Mm-hmm. I, I am the breadwinner in the house. I earn my living solely uh, from writing about music. I don't do anything else. Mm-hmm. I don't have a paper round. I don't, uh, you know, whatever else. I, there are no supplements to my income other than what I derive every month from writing about music. Um, but for me, my relationship with it is fraught because I... every literally everything I do is plagued with doubt so my so I I spend a a lot like for example today just coincidentally uh, I'm writing a piece on on Sid Barrett from Pink Floyd uh, fame and um, you know I (laughs) 
my starting point is I know nothing about this and I can't possibly have a view and I cannot express this. And why did I agree to write this piece? Mm. Um, and that happens with everything. Uh, it doesn't matter how short it is and it doesn't matter how long it is. Um, so I, I have a part of my process of being a, a, a professional is to spend a lot of time telling myself I can't do this. And um, I've tried changing my work practice. I've tried, um, you know, because I've been doing it for a long time and I, you know, I pretty much generally hit the deadlines mm. uh, that are requested of me. Um, so I'm doing something right. But, but part of me has, part of that process is to be lost and utterly plagued by doubt. Um, and... I always think Americans have, this is a broad cultural stereotype, I'll give you fair warning, but American, whenever I talk to any American writers, um, they're super confident and they're, they're kind of like, yeah, and, it's, and I just think, God, I wish I could do that, but I, I, and I struggle to do it. Um, but I, I find that somehow I get, I get there and I get over it, but, and I get the piece done. But it's always the gap between what's in my head, what I think I'm going to write, and the piece that eventually is transferred via my fingers into the keyboard and onto the screen. Um, the gap between those two different worlds is so sometimes immense. Mm -hmm. And the chasm that yawns between idea and execution. Um, and every time, if Debbie was here, she would tell you, that every time I, I press send, I, I literally am in the pit of despair because I've, <laughs> I've sent something that I feel is utter mm -hmm. rubbish. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and every time I expect to get it sent back to me uh, with, with yeah. notes. And once or twice it's happened, and, and actually it's really good when that happens because it, you know, it kind of makes you lift your game. But mostly it doesn't. Now that either means the people on the on the receiving end who are paying the money just don't care how bad it is, or maybe it's not as bad as I think it is. <laughs> the, my point is, though, it do, none of that matters, and it doesn't. It doesn't matter how many times people say, "Oh, that's a marvelous piece. I loved. I loved that piece." It's very nice to get that kind of praise, but it, I always just can see the gap between the idea and the execution, and it's so poor. It makes me want to die of embarrassment and and i never i can't ever read it back i never ever read when it when the thing appears in print i can't read it because i all i can see is the stuff that yeah. i was trying to say but didn't say and i think i think actually most artists i've interviewed lots of people and you know when you talk to them they'll, they'll often say oh i can't listen to my own music because all they hear is the mistakes or the missed opportunities or the time when you know, the tape didn't work, and they had to, they had to use a wrong take or something like that. So mm -hmm. it it must cut across other it, other mediums. It, it, exactly, and and you know, I don't want to take away from what you said, and I'm not going to say you're great. No, no, <laughs> no. But no. what you describe is what an artist experiences, and no. that's what I what I what I meant earlier, right? This is this is kind of like the the uh, the struggle of an artist. And, and, you know, uh, I have it every single day, every yeah. single day. And it's, as you say, it never goes away. 
And how, I, how do you deal with it? Oh, I get I get depressed. I I kind of start like um, doubting myself. Um, sure. Yeah. And yeah, me and too. and I think what I do is also when I when I listen back to what I played or recorded, I actually had this very thing last night when I sent something to Devin Townsend, which he asked asked me to play on one of his pieces, and I I recorded like some tracks for him, and it felt horrible, really felt horrible, and I couldn't couldn't really see even the 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 sense in me being involved, right? Like it goes yeah. that far, it goes that yeah, yeah, far. Yeah. And yeah. and then you know he writes back to me says it's it's great I can use quite a bit of this and well, that's <laughs> that's really how it how it goes and and I'm sort of relieved uh, in a way but also it goes that far that I really I don't believe the other side. No, yeah, no. you know exactly what I mean, right? <laughs> I, I, that's exactly me every time. <laughs> I, I I got a, I got a lovely um, unsolicited email from somebody uh, yesterday. Um, just sort of saying that they'd appreciated something I'd written, mm-hmm. and my my immediate instinct is, well, this person obviously can't read. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because good. if they could read, they would know. <laughs> but but we and and it's it's um there's like, do you know if your gig is a good gig or not? You know, like if you if you if I don't know, there's a stickman show or, or something. Yeah. Do you have any sense of, wow, that's we've done a great gig tonight, or is it, or is it, is it a mystery to you? It's well, it, it is a mystery. But what I what I found, like being on stage, I found that it is absolutely necessary and important <laughs> to have a sense of accomplishment after a show. I think yeah. I couldn't, I I wouldn't be able to um, to do this if. You know, I think in a way it's a little bit, and and it's funny because it's only in that situation of being. But you know, the stickman shows, as an example, are not necessarily creative. Like there mm. may be slots with improvisation, right? So it's it's yeah. kind of it's yeah. You could say okay, we fucked up that section, or you know, or I didn't play well tonight. Yeah, I can say that, but really, it does not mean anything for the audience. Like the audience, there's so much more than that. And like nowadays, we we have the monitoring with in ears, so we kind of like hear the same kind of mix every night anyway. And 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 so nowadays, what what I do is like I think I I usually have a little bit of a sense how it was, um, mm. um, but since we go out into the audience after the shows and I get to talk to people, that's when when I get some uh, like soothing, you know, <laughs> from yeah, yeah, from the yeah, words yeah. and. But yeah. yeah, but I know what you mean, and especially especially um, when when you don't have good monitoring, which people really don't don't, and it's in a way it's a little bit uh, uh, an analogy to to you reading what you've written, and basically you have a kind of blind blind spot for even like reading your own words, you know. But yeah, with yeah. the with the with the in ear monitors, it's like it's like you have this feedback, and that's a good yeah. that's a good thing. So now nowadays it's it's much easier for me to be relaxed about shows. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean I I generally trust the process. I trust that there's a moment where when I start the process I have no idea what I'm doing, um, and then then as the deadline looms and gets nearer, 
Um, I then sort of go for a walk uh, or I go down and hoover the landing or something, you know, <laughs> I procrastinate. And then eventually there's a point at which you have to sit down and you have to write the thing. Mm-hmm. And once that, and the other thing that happens is, you know, you know, this awful feeling that you've got is going to be over because by tomorrow, because today is the deadline yeah. and the piece has to be sent. Yeah. And, and you know that tomorrow you're going to be all right. So you just can get through it. Um, it, it and of course, most writing is, is not actually writing. It's most writing is thinking. Yeah. Um, the, the writing part of an article is, is, is almost the, the, the shortest bit. Well, it is the shortest bit because it may take, if you, if you, I recently wrote a, a 5,000 word feature, cover feature for Brog magazine. Um, and, you know, to write 5,000 words, in a sense, doesn't take very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what takes the time is the thinking about about all, you know, you think about the interview you've done, you listen to the interview you've done, you, you transcribe it, you think about narratives and how, and the relationships and, and kind of one vibe against another, et cetera, et cetera. All of that's in the head. The actual writing of it is the last yeah. and quickest bit of it. And again, it's exactly the way that I think a lot of musical artists feel about creating. Mm. I mean, I, I've, I, I mean, I know from myself, for example, the Todd Merton 513 piece. I oh, had yeah, the yeah. idea ten years before I before it was written down, like, and mm. it was there, and it was, and um, maybe, maybe you said you called you were saying thinking about it, right? Maybe, mm. maybe I wouldn't even go that far. I would say it's it's more than that. It's almost like emotionally processing that you've taken mm. on the task or the commitment. To do it really, and and it's that is that processing that 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 then I think creates the emotion or the the urgency to write something that has power. Mm. I mean, at least for my music, that is that, that's true. I think the the I waiting. Think, I think sometimes in a when you when I'm writing a piece, I know. Um, I know I'm always relaxed. I, I, I relax a little bit. I'll listen to a bit of the interview I've done and I'll think to myself, oh, that's how the piece finishes. That mm-hmm. quote, that's where, the, that's where the piece is going to finish. Mm-hmm. I usually get that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually know where it's going to go. Yeah. I, I, there's, there's a trajectory kind of gets plotted out um, subconsciously. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you'll hear somebody say something And, you know, I interviewed you a few years ago for a, a, a piece in Prog magazine. And I, I kind of, I knew, uh, I think we were talking, I think it was on Skype. And uh, I think you, a pipe had burst or something in your house and you, you, your, your flat or house was flooded or something yes, like that. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, it, and, and we both sort of said, oh, living the dream, you know, kind yes. of, and we were laughing about that. But actually that, that hashtag... Mm. That you that you used in your thing that became the 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 tag on which I was able to hang the piece. Yeah, amazing. and um, you know, live in the dream and and this kind of whole. So you can explore what that means, you know, in 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 all its rich uh, meaning. Um, <laughs> but but often I will I will know how a piece will finish. Um, all I've then got to worry about is how it starts and what's in the middle. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or, or sometimes you know how it starts and you don't know where you're going to go, but you'll get there eventually. 
the uh, if we well first of all let me say I think probably the fact that your process is similar to the one of an of an artist or could be similar to that of an artist <laughs> uh, your voice sort of counts right I find that 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 may be maybe an explanation why uh, people follow your lead when it comes to recommendations or things that you like. And, I, think some, yeah. I, I think sometimes that's just about um, it's it's not it, it's nothing to do with authority. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, and, and I know you're not saying it's to do with authority, but but I, I, I'm just sort of, um, I'm, I'm wary about, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, being an influencer, uh, to use mm-hmm. the uh, modern parlance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't feel like I, I am an influencer. I think all I am doing is is consistently, and I think consistency is something to do with this, I'm just sharing an enthusiasm, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 now I might be wrong about this and somebody will probably rifle through my social media, but I don't, I, I never put up stuff saying, well, this is a shit album. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. sometimes I'll say online, I don't like something, mm-hmm. but I never, so I, I, my, the only rule I have is, um, I won't say, I will generally not say anything, um, online that I wouldn't say to a person in, in yeah. real life, yeah. you know? I don't shit post people, and I know you can get a lot of clicks and a lot of hits that way, and you know by being smart ass and writing, you know, snarky comments about such and such an artist. Um, but I try, you know, I try not to do that. So if I'm right, if if I'm posting up a picture online and saying listening to, I don't know, whatever it is. Um, it's generally because I think it's worth listening to. Um, and if other people want to listen to it, great, you know. Um, but it, it doesn't mean it's better than somebody else or, or, or anything like that. It's really just going back to that experience of our social media bubbles now, uh, the worlds that we, in, the orbits that we, we inhabit are, are much like the orbits that, you know, I used to inhabit when I was a kid going round to, mates houses it's just that the houses are there's many more of them and geographically it's around the world instead of around a, a small mm-hmm. tiny town you know yeah. um but it but it is trying to just be consistent and um being generous you know i, I think that's something that doesn't get talked about enough although everybody recognizes it music is Music is is it, it sounds trite when you say it, but music is the is the thing that for me makes everything make sense. It makes in a world that is generally, you know, full of greed, deceit, and and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, music is that has that transcendent quality to change to change your life and. Um, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's just there in the background, and that's fine. It's a bit of wallpaper, and that's fine as well. I, I listen to music just like everybody listens to music in that way. But 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 really, if you can engage with music, um, and it's not there's nothing mystical about it, and it's not like Zen or anything like that. It's just about finding the time to sit and listen, mm-hmm. actively listen, 
that experience, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And that, that, you know, that can be an old album that you've known for 50 years. How many times do you hear people say, I hear fresh things in it every time I listen to it? Well, you know, there's a reason for that. It's because you're engaging with it, you know. Yes. And um, not every piece of music has to do that, but, but it's great when it can. And there's, an, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, you'll, I'll keep buying LPs or, or CDs by Vaughan Williams. You know, I've got... I've got zillions of them, you know, mm -hmm. and often, you know, there's duplicates, you know, mm -hmm. so it's lots and lots of different performances of the Fifth Symphony, for example, mm -hmm. uh, Vaughan Williams' Fifth Symphony, you know, and everyone's different and the nuances are different and you can enjoy them. I can't remember how many copies of The Lark Ascending by Vaughan Williams I've got, mm -hmm. but like, you know, reliably every time it makes me cry, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. And, and but I want to cry in a different way to performance <laughs> A, B, or C or D. You know, mm -hmm. so and I, I think I think music is so key for me and so important. Um, it, life would be so grim without it, and that's why the current situation is so terrible. Because you know we've got musicians who can't work mm -hmm. uh, and can't play live. You know. Um, don't worry about Napster or, or streaming because you'll make all your money playing live. Ho, ho. Mm -hmm. uh, well, of course, you know, that, 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 was, never, that was never true. Um, but, but, you know, it sounded good at the time if you said it quickly enough. <laughs> and, of course, now, you know, now you can't even make a living, you know. Oh, CDs are so expensive. Why are you charging us so much? Well, you know, okay, you know. <laughs> because we want to make a living you know and it, it it's so it's it's grim stuff at the moment but somehow music will gets us through it um does it change the world i don't know but it it changes my world and i, I suspect it probably changes your world uh, when when it happens do, do you ever um find yourself um doing prejudiced listening What what does that mean? Do you have like a put? Well, then that that's probably the answer already. But anyway, uh, do you no. do you do you um, are you able to always listen without prejudice? I try to. I think. I mean, I think I've got all the prejudices that everybody has. For example, um, I'm not. I'm not a great fan of vocal music, you know, like 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 with a, a lead singer, you yeah. know, if it's a rock thing. Mm -hmm. um, if it's a singer-songwriter, that's a different kind of vibe. Um, and very often, you know, sometimes, you know, I have to work, uh, you know, because the music sounds great and then the vocalist comes in and, mm -hmm. and kind of ruins it for me because because I don't like their voice or their lyrics or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. whatever. So I, I'm, I'm just as prejudiced as everybody is, you know. Um, one of the reasons why, um, I mean, this is probably going to cause death threats, but um, I, I don't dislike the band at all, um, but I just don't get it. Um, and that, there's, a, there's a band, uh, I believe they're called Rush, Mm -hmm. And they're, they're they're incredibly popular, mm -hmm. and I, I I've tried you know, and I just don't get it. I I can't see what the appeal is. Well, I can see what the appeal is, but but it doesn't work for me. Um, and so you know, that's that's a very very yeah. good example because I agree with you. Like for me, it's also difficult to understand. 
why people like it so much. But, but. knowing knowing and having traveled in North America a lot, I can see that there was like a particular kind of culture around when Rush got introduced into the mainstream, let's say. And they yeah. were they 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 kind of like uh, transcended the main the the uh, uh, the underground first, and then they became superstars even with that kind yeah. of music. And I can I can understand that this combination of factors can have quite a draw, and that people people kind of like you know fall in love because of mm. the whole package, let's say. But when we listen to one of their albums, all that context is not is not there. And 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 that I mean I'm not not saying that with the context I would like it, but I'm just saying that uh, that yeah. there's there's so much more than the experience of what has been recorded. Um, yeah, yeah, the context is so important. <laughs> I I I find, I mean, it doesn't mean that I think anybody who likes Rush is somehow deficient in taste or anything like that, because clearly that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but 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 some music works on you and some music doesn't. And the important thing is, I think, as you definitely as you get, as you get older, um, and you've got less time mm -hmm. uh, available to you for all sorts of reasons, is to not worry about it and just accept that you know King Crimson isn't the band for me or mm -hmm. Rush or Genesis or whoever it is. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I sometimes often get into trouble with. Uh, with uh, for is and it's it's not an unreasonable assumption of course um people get in touch with me and and they this they want to send me their their band's album mm -hmm. and you know i say i always say don't send me the album mm -hmm. send me a link so i can listen to, mm -hmm. to something mm -hmm. um because you know a sending albums is very expensive and costly and also there's 99% chance I just can't do anything with it. You know, mm -hmm. like it's not up to me what appears in the magazine, for example, mm -hmm. you know, so, um, and very often what happens is they send me the, they send me a link or a file or something and I'll listen to it. And it's just not for me. It's not for me, but they assume because it's got Mellotrons and uh, it's mm -hmm. prog rock. Uh, but I don't really listen to prog rock, and that's why I'm a bit of a crap writer about prog rock, because I don't <laughs> listen to prog rock that much. Mm -hmm. I do. I mean, I do. You know, I, I, I like Van de Graaff Generator and King Crimson and God knows who else as much as the next fat, balding man of in his late 50s or early <laughs> 60s. But it's not. that's not where the juice is for me. That's yeah. not the music that... You know, and I ha and I do struggle with what I would call contemporary prog in that sense. You know, prog with a capital P. Um, sometimes I, I hear it really as a as a musical historical reenactment society um, where bands are, you know, kind of restaging battles that were fought many decades ago, uh, but their take on it, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's mm. not. It doesn't work. Too well for me, and you know. The, so, so that's why I listen to old Miles Davis records most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like one some of the saddest moments on the road for me are people who clearly have a dream, and you know, like, and and I, I think it's 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 like something really extremely lovable that they have a dream to make music, and somebody gives yeah. me gives me an album, right, and or. Or even better, I see 
somebody give an album to Tony Levin. And yeah, yeah. I know that Tony can't listen to it because he doesn't have the time. And also, if he had the time, he wouldn't listen to it. And I, 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 that's, and, and so my advice also to people to maybe, who may be listening to this, never give anybody your music unless somebody asks. And, yeah. and, and I say this out of experience. And because still, even still in around 2000, I made that mistake. But yeah, then, yeah. then I very quickly realized if I want to become friends with Pat Masolotto, right? Yeah. I, I don't want to be giving him my music. No, no, no. And so you become friends first, yeah. and then you can share music. And yeah. and 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 I guess like the same. And I, I don't want to encourage people to become friends with you, okay? But but basically, <laughs> that's the way it should go. <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't want any friends. I've got, I've got more than more than I know what to do with uh, online anyway. Um, and and if my wife was here, she'd tell you that I don't have any friends in real life either. I, I can count on one hand the amount of people I see in real life, you know, not not just to do with lockdown. In fact, the, the COVID lockdown thing hasn't changed my life at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it really hasn't. I, I, there's no impact on me because I never used to go to the pub. Uh, I never used to I never used to go out on a wild social swirl because mm-hmm. um, 99% of the time I'm sitting in my room fucking writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I just don't get out, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, so, but like the 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 general story of musicians this year, like the you know loss of opportunities to earn a living. Um, sure. Even though I know that it probably hasn't affected you financially, but just just the the overall vibe of what's going on and just the the, the sheer amount of music that has been put out this year, that must. Have, I mean, I'm not saying it has changed your life, but I can I can even see and feel how it has changed the response of the listeners. Like mm. like this this Bandcamp Fridays thing. Yeah, I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, like a lot of people say, oh, it's great, such a great thing, and and I I agree. Like for for those artists who basically maybe don't sell that much in the first place, it's a great thing to see that there's this good company, and it's a good company that gives a hundred percent of the proceeds to the artists, and that's yeah. that's wonderful. But what that does, it concentrates all the all the efforts to get attention on mm. that one day. And I think yeah. it's, it's horrible. It's horrible where like on, on my band camp, like I had like a little income, like every day, like, and now yeah. it's like, you know, it's like concentrated around that first of the month and overall it's, it's less. So, yeah, right. so, so you see like, so, so, so something has been, has been changed in the system. And I think this band camp is just one example um, yeah. I think overall the, the the business has been changed from the inside out without us actually knowing yet what mm. that's going to mean. Yeah. Um, I, I, but I think that reads through to to wider society beyond music and musicians and music industry. Yeah. I think one of the one of the things we can't we can't know yet is the is the way this uh, whole situation around the world will play play out and you know the impact of something you know nothing like this has ever happened in our lifetime mm-hmm. um I, I so it's impossible to know how that's going to shake down at all levels of, of society regardless of what your 
job is or job you know whether you have a job or not um, the, the impact uh, of of the wider world um, is is unknown at the moment I mean you know we deal with the day-to-day consequences or if you're the British government you don't deal with the day-to-day consequences <laughs> uh, but that's an aside mm-hmm. uh, I think we don't know I mean making music has always been a tenuous uh, living um, you know, except I, I say that, except one of the good things about making music a few years ago, for example, is there was an ecosystem which allowed people to make a living. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't about selling LPs uh, as it was then or CDs as it became. Um, there were live venues. There was, uh, there were, as I say, music was more central to the culture, to the mm-hmm. popular culture. Uh, but I think a combination of factors has made it less so. And I think the whole COVID thing has marginalised whole tiers of people, um, yeah. including musicians yeah. and live venues. Um, and we don't know how that's going to to play out. We don't know what the end result, what the end result is going to be of all this change. Yeah, it's very uncertain. Very uncertain. Yeah, I mean, to me, it feels like it's. I I'd really, for lack of a better description, it's like a major generational change. But it's not just yeah. a change; it's a cut. It's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's and if I I don't want to mention like names here, but like think of like the great musicians who are still alive, who were still touring last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who may never come back. Yeah, this is that's something we really need to need to say out loud. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, I, we can't can't be dreaming uh, that this will all, uh, you know, just go away. And it would, it would, it would, it would affect me. You know, if one of my, I don't know, one of my favorite bands, uh, you know, came back out on tour uh, next year, uh, depending on where we are with this whole uh, infection rate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, um, speaking as somebody who has a wife who is in the vulnerable category, and I'm also. Mm-hmm. Uh, of a particular uh, age where I'm in the vulnerable c- category, I'm probably not going to go and see that band. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably not going to go and see that band. You know, so uh, the last gig I was at was uh, a, a gig by an absolutely brilliant band. I absolutely loved them. Uh, and that was a band called The Utopia Strong. Mm-hmm. And I was reviewing the gig for the magazine, uh, but I would have been there anyway because it uh, but the point of the story is, um, it's a small venue. You're absolutely jam packed together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no room to move, mm-hmm. um, and that's what made it a great gig. You know, yeah. I mean, we, we, and I, I think I described it in the review. There was a moment where the music, um, Carvis Tarabi uh, was playing synth and guitar, and Steve Davis was. Uh, doing something with a with a uh, synthesizer, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. Yeah. Uh, and there was this marvelous moment where the the entire audience, it felt to me, were part of this one unit that was making something unique happen mm-hmm. to that moment, mm-hmm. and it was ecstatic. I was high as a kite from it, mm-hmm. um, but I won't be going to see them again. <laughs> in that venue or po- probably any other venue, no matter how good that was. Because at the moment, you know, being able to breathe and be alive actually is 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 more important. Yeah. 
but you know how sad, sad is that though yes it's it's a tragedy it's a tragedy yeah yeah on that happy note <laughs> on that happy note we should stop and uh we will we'll talk again in a in a few months <laughs> but uh, yeah once we know how it how it plays out yeah and i suspect in a few months we probably won't know how it'll play out no no it's it's going to take much longer i, I you know the, the the good thing about myself is that i think i i have a really i'm kind of clever and and the the moment I, we were in uh, in japan and we were sitting there and we got the you know the phone call the tour is canceled uh, yeah, yeah, i yeah. knew i knew i have to reinvent myself i knew it yeah. and, and there was no there was no uh, no grief or sadness at that point about what i may have lost uh Ah, there you go. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the recording from that one show we did. Yeah, that's that night, isn't it? Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah, that's the <laughs> and, for, and for, for the sake of the viewer or listener, rather, uh, if this gets, if this part makes it to the transmission, I'm holding up the latest uh, uh, Stickman album uh, featuring Gary Husband, uh, the, the the brilliant Gary Husband. Yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, I mean. You know, it's a it's it's a historical artifact in in lots of different ways. This exactly, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah but but anyway, like what I just wanted to say is like the I think I'm only just starting to catch up even with the idea that I could be grieving. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. so yeah. even even if we are allowed to tour again, I think the grieving process will mm. will only then become really clear and apparent to us and and active grieving will will still be going on when we have the new normal you yes, know? yes and and whatever the and that's yeah is. exactly exactly and that's that's kind of like what i'm not looking forward to but in a way i'm looking forward to it okay well you can you articulate there i think what everybody feels there's a duality going on one is This is, this is terrible, um, and and I'm looking forward to get it, getting to the end of it, and that's fine, that's understandable. Um, but there's the other part of it, which is, I don't know what the end looks like anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, yep. um, you know, if, if if your flight gets cancelled, well, you'll just get another flight. You know, uh, if the tour gets cancelled, well, it's a shame, but we'll just do another tour. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is different. <laughs> it is different. So, yes, something's been taken away from us that is beyond our control and it's beyond the control of, uh, of pretty much everybody. And, and I think the analogy you use about grieving is, is pretty, pretty close to it. I, without going into detail, members of my family, uh, you know, have been affected by this situation in all sorts of different ways. Um, mm -hmm. Some of which is, you know, hard to see, you know, mm -hmm. Because people are struggling with yeah. with with the enormity of what's going on. I, I mean, and we're very lucky as a family because everybody is still in jobs, and you know they're able to work from home, etc., etc. So that's all good stuff. But um, but you multiply that across the world, um, with, and with all the various experiences, and it's there's a lot of grief and yes. there's a lot of grieving for sure. Yeah. Okay, my friend. <laughs> okay, Thank you very stuff. much for this conversation. And uh, uh, 
thank you. Uh, I'm glad we got to it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. okay. So no, no further words. Thank you so right. much. I'll be in touch. Take, bye, take my friends. Bye. bye, bye. bye.